Hello everyone, it's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 37 of Every Damn Day. And today we're going to do a rerun of Mr. Jay Price, the founder of the Chronicle News, and one of the first people who brought urban uh, music to Lansing. And yesterday it is sad news that he passed away, and much love out to you, Giannis, and thanks for saying that it was okay for me to do this show today. Love y'all. This man is full of wisdom. Please listen. Mr. Jay Price, our new friend from the Chronicle News. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for considering us and and bringing us on. And uh, hopefully I can uh, enlighten some people about what I do. Yeah, I uh, I'm really excited to have you here. A lot of times I talk to uh, new endeavors, new startups, people just starting out with the project that they're working on. And uh, I'm going to let you tell it in a little bit, but I'm super excited to have you here because you've been doing something for a while now um, and you've been doing a good job at it. So uh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm blessed to be here with you. So why don't we start out? Will you tell us about you, like where you were born and raised, where you moved around? All of I- that? I was born in uh, a little town in, not town, but county in Mississippi called Panola County. It is northernmost Mississippi, probably about 40 miles south of the Tennessee border, right out of Memphis. Uh, Back in those days, you could go down 51 Highway, which is where Elvis's mansion is on 51 Highway. You go straight down there, keep due south, and you would uh, run into a little place called Batesville, Mississippi. Not so little anymore. They've got shop rights and they've got all kinds of stores that have come in. Last time I went home, I said, this is Batesville. They've got every, just about every store you can think of there, but it's in northernmost Mississippi. And that's where I was born. In. And I think from there, uh, you headed to Chicago? Yeah. Uh, well, after most of the family either graduated or they got jobs in Chicago because we had relatives there. And, they bring them up, they'll get them into, well, I think we had people at Western Electric. We had some people working at a book company called Follett Books. It was like a book warehouse mm-hmm. and depository. And uh, we had several other factories that some of our relatives went with. Eventually everybody had left northernmost Mississippi and either migrated to Chicago or they didn't get a job in Chicago. They went 90 miles north to Milwaukee. So that's where the bulk of my relatives are. Chicago. And this uh, this must have been in the when yeah, you were moving, late fifties or early sixties. Uh, late fifties, like nineteen fifty eight. Nineteen fifty eight, yeah. So um, you went to Chicago. I went to Chicago uh, on the west side, and my grandmother was raising me. My grandmother, and my grandfather. When I got to Chicago, you know the the room is a lot tighter <laughs> than it is in Mississippi. So. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather didn't have enough room for me. So naturally my mother took me and I was lucky because, you know, there's apartment complexes in Chicago. My mother lived on this side of the building. My grandmother and grandfather lived on that side. So I, either way I went, if I didn't want what my mother was cooking that day, I went and ate with my grandmother. So I was lucky. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that eventually you got into broadcasting, right? 
Uh, I loved broadcasting as a kid. Uh, the music back then, the R&B and, and, and all that. I would say as a kid, I was attracted to radio and broadcasting like the kids are now to the computers and the electronic gadgets and, and stuff like that. I was really into broadcasting. Eventually, I had a shortwave radio. Uh, I had a good radio where I could pick up stations out of Chicago because Chicago only had one urban station back then. But back in the day, I had a radio that would pick up Randy. You might not know Randy, but a lot of older people will remember Randy's out of, uh, I think it was out of, they said Nashville, but actually it was Gallatin, Tennessee. And uh, I would pick him up and he'd be playing the latest R&B records. So I, I listened to Randy a lot. So that was how I got influenced by broadcasting. And I guess after that, I was bitten by the broadcast bug. And uh, I got into it haphazardly. And I seen some of the guys in radio, they were struggling and everything. And so, God, I don't know. I, and I like this, but God, you know, I, I've got a wife. I mean, I can't. I can't live like this. So I went back and got my degree from Columbia College in broadcasting, advertising, and marketing. I said, now this will give me an edge because there's not many black guys. And we're talking about probably mid-70s uh, mm -hmm. that knew what I knew. I mean, you, I knew advertising inside and out. I knew the A's and B's of it. I knew how to put commercials together. I knew how to splice tape. I knew everything I needed to know. And on top of it, I had a first-class engineer's license, which is a general market license, a general radio and telephone license now. So when uh, they started WXLA, yeah, WXLA back in the day, 1170 AM, mm -hmm. um, I had a friend. We, we were living in Gary, Indiana. I had worked there in radio, and naturally I was out of work. And uh, he had some friends that bought a station down here in Lansing. I didn't know them. Uh, he was friends with them. He knew Ernie Boone. So one thing led to another. I got an interview with these guys and uh, with these guys, those guys that owned the radio station. And uh, I think they liked where I was coming from. They liked my experience. By then, I had worked for James Brown organization. I had worked in Milwaukee at the number one urban radio station. So I'd like to say I was ready and primed for this market at that time. I was ready, willing and able. And when I came in, we started with that station, and uh, I don't think Lansing was ever the same since then. Uh, a friend of mine said, he said, you know, Jay, when you came here, it's like a light switch was turned on in our community, and it hasn't gone out since. Because, you know, that music we were playing changed the whole mood of the city. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that I do remember. I remember... Um, we used to splice into our cable and hook it up to the back of our radio and mm -hmm. we'd be able to pick up stations in uh, Detroit and Chicago and other places. And Lansing didn't have anything. We, we had like WVIC, no. it was all rock and roll. Well, the knock on them, the knock on VIC, what they did was good. They just didn't do it for a long enough stint. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna be successful in broadcasting, you've got to dedicate yourself if you're going to be a daytime, it'll be a daytimer. That's all you got. Make the best of it. Like we did back in the day. We were a daytime. We had such an impact that uh, the owners were able to get, was it 96.5 FM? And yeah. we were able to go 24 hours. So now they've got AM and FM. But uh, we only had the daytimer. And when we were on, I think the music we played, we played was different, unique. And I think it was very good. And uh, I think the guys at BIC and some of the other stations, 
had never heard or seen anything like we were doing. And you know, as as we went on and on, I stayed on the air longer, I could see they were adding an urban song here and there. And before it was all over with, you know, they might have had in their regular rotation of maybe 40 songs. They may have had five, six urban contemporary songs. So, you know, you're making an impact when your competition is starting to play some of the stuff that you're playing. You're making a tremendous impact. Yeah, I think uh, all of that music, I, I grew up with Motown music from my parents. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, all of that music was just a natural progression for me. And I wasn't hearing it on just our normal radio stations. That's why we were trying to reach out. And, you know, that made me, it made me dress different. It made me dance. Wow. It made me um, probably, I, I was lucky in the seven, in 76, I got bused to Riddle. I was part of the desegregation of Lansing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it just, it opened up my world in a whole lot of ways. So, uh, and I remember those days very clearly uh, listening to you guys. Oh, okay. So, All right. So I don't remember you, unfortunately. That was a long, long time ago. To well, me. I mean, I was, like I said, I was probably the, well, not probably, I was the one that uh, everyone came after me. I guess my show was the test show and it took off and they started adding more and more pieces. And eventually the whole day, the whole day was urban contemporary music. So, yeah. and, and then, uh, I don't know, I think maybe after two years, they bought 96.5. 24 hours. Well, I'm glad that they came here and I'm glad that you came here because now, um, why don't you tell us about the Chronicle? Chronicle newspaper. Okay. Uh, as I said before, I was like you, you were listening to Motown and all those urban songs. Um, radio back in the day touched me in such a way, but as I said before, I listened to Randy out of Nashville and I had WVO in Chicago, and at night, you know, due to, you know what Skip is, right? Skip distance at night, broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was able to pick up stations from all over the United States. I had a pretty good receiver, and I would just be up and down the dial listening. And I didn't know it, but I guess that was to be my path forward: radio broadcasting. And uh, I managed to get into it, and uh, I seen some of the people that look like me and they were in it and some of them were having the darndest time. I said, I like, you know, I like the music, but I don't know. I don't think I want to scuffle like that with my family. So I left radio, went back to college at Columbia in Chicago, and I took up all the advertising courses that I could, all the marketing courses. So I had an inside knowledge as to how things were put together at ad agencies. I could create spots. I could do all of that. So that made me even more valuable to a station because now not only do I have my engineering license, my first class ticket, as they used to say, and now I understand how to put spots together and write spots and produce spots and splice tapes. I used to say, hey, I was capable of doing everything at a radio station, including taking out the garbage and going to read the transmitter. And a lot of times those transmitters were way, way out in the country. I was able to do that. So I said I could do anything at radio from A to Z. And so, you know, I felt pretty good about it. I said, well, I got a shot and I may be able to make a career out of this. So that's what I did. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but the, the Chronicle newspaper, you uh, started that oh, 35 okay. years ago, right? Yes. I got into the Chronicle because, uh, I don't know if you follow radio, I guess you probably do. If you notice, and this is probably because of the way the rating services are, 
I think back years ago, we had Birch Report. We had Arbitron. I think Arbitron was every six months. Birch Report was quarterly. And uh, what most of the owners at the radio stations would do, they'd take the quarterly trends from Birch as far as a show. And they may maybe give an announcer nine months. Some some give you a year. And if you're one on the upswing going up, taking those ratings up, they were looking to replace you because this game of numbers. So, I mean, you know, and that's that could be your career in broadcasting. If you're if you come in and you don't show an upward trend, you're probably going to be gone, especially in a secondary or major market. They're not going to mess around with you. You should be professional. You should know what you're doing and you should be able to get some ratings and not they're going to replace you. That's it's just a revolving door. Yeah. Yeah. So another reason to kind of get away from radio and the newspaper. Yes. Yeah. So what what was happening when you started the Chronicle? What was happening in the news? What what did you see that made you want to start the Chronicle? Okay. Okay. to do that, you have to understand my mission or our mission. Our mission is to show the positive side of our community. And you say, that's strange. Why would you say that? But if you think back to, and this is why I know what was happening back then. If you think back to the, the to the eighties back then, you seen African American men, and you'd see them jacked up, handcuffed, up against the police car, and the lights uh, glaring, and that's what you see. And I said, well, God, I, I don't think I want to have a newspaper that's printing that because you know some of the daily papers they already do that. I don't want to compete with them. And I say, but there's nobody seeking out positive news that's going to uplift and inspire people to read the paper and feel good about themselves. So that's what we did. Our mission is to show the positive side of our community. So we would seek out news that would do that for us. And eventually the advertisers said, well, that's what you're trying to do. I said, yes, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, tell me why. And I tell them, I said, well, you know, we want to show a good face for it. We don't want to show all the negative stuff. We got other people doing that for us. They don't need me to do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's see, Reagan would have been president then. So the whole uh, tough on crime, uh, yes. he was starting that. The war on drugs was starting. Yes, yes, all uh, of that. The war on black, brown, and poor people was starting in my, well, Nixon started it even earlier. And then obviously slave owners and all of that started it a long time ago. Yeah. Um, what, you know, that was 35 years ago. Hmm. There, the the State Journal was a thick newspaper back. Oh, then. it was. It, they had like four sections, maybe five, mm-hmm. when I first came here. And now it's a thin section, and other <laughs> newspapers. Maybe, th- maybe three sections. Yeah. Yeah. So how'd you do this? How did you keep this alive well, for 35 actually, years? Actually, see, when I was at the radio station. I was the number one advertising guy and put stuff together and they never gave me uh, an official title, but basically I was having to run the advertising and and sales department. And uh, well, good reason for that. I had probably 70% of all the accounts, all the advertisers. And uh, so when I left the station, um, I knew the advertisers, I had personal contact with them. I was selling ads all the time. So I had to convince them, Hey, look, I'm leaving the radio, but there's also a need for a newspaper here that reaches our community. There's not one here. And I'm sure with what I'm trying to do, I can get some readers if you'd give me a chance. So, you know, I started out with maybe 12 advertisers and 
when I think about it now on special issues, sometimes we can have as many as 35 advertisers. That's like three times what I have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you survived the internet boom. Yes. Right. So we, we've got everybody reading news and getting alerts and all of this on our, our smartphones now, but you still brought me about 20 papers to distribute today. Yeah. Actually, when the internet came about, I mean, it scared everybody to death, not just in print and broadcast also. I mean, people were shaking. Like, what's yeah. going to happen? How, what's going to be the outcome? And I said, well, I'm just going to play the hand out and see how, how it goes. I say every new medium or something new like that, it draws a lot of attention, but usually it will settle down and get at a certain level and it's going to stay there. And I said, well, you know, what I do is already a specialty market. I don't see them really trying to compete with me because they, if they try and compete with me, then they're losing their focus on what they do. So I just let it play itself out. But yes, I was worried. Uh, I think more general market newspaper and radio and TV were worried more than anybody else. Yeah. I like what you said. You just played the hand you were dealt. Um, right. I, I say that phrase almost every day. You just got to play that hand. Got to play the hand and, and, and see how it comes out. Do what you know and do what you do best. And I thought I was pretty good at you know, taking what was given to me and trying to promote it and forging straight ahead. So uh, I, I just want to give a shout out to Giannis. She said hello to us over in the comments and Mona David, how you doing? And then, uh, you know, LKL, I think I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, I know. LK. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> OK. So, All right. Sure. So everyone's saying hello to you. OK. So um, your your mission, you stated that you wanted to show the positive stories because yes. And, and actually, you know, did did you see it as people were just jumping on whatever negative story they could find and that's what they thought sold the papers or? I think that's what they thought. I think that's what they thought. The more sensationalized, the more negative stuff they could drum up and, and keep it focused would bring them in people. But I think after a while, people get tired of being hyped up by like, it's the same thing all over and over again, a different name, but a different day, but it's the same thing. So I said, well, you know, hey, nobody's doing this. Somebody needs to do it. Uh, somebody needs to explain why you should read about African-Americans and, and what they do. That You need to explain why. Hey, look, I might do a story on a kid that just graduated and he's got almost an A average all the way through high school and he's going to whatever college he's going to. I could show that on my front page because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Now, most newspapers are not going to run anything like that on their front page, but it would be a good piece. And if it was the right article, people would read it. People say, well, that's what the Chronicle does. They seek out that news or, you know, somebody got a promotion or something. Uh, they've been in a job a long time. We do that. Uh, uh, things that the community needs to know. We put that in the paper and we do it all the time. So I bet, you know, people, they see their Facebook feed and it's, you know, it can get really negative, especially around elections and everything that was happening with Trump and all that. Yeah. I bet you people think that it's hard to find a good story, a positive story. What do you think? Is Was it hard? Is it or is it super easy? Uh, they're out there. Uh, you just have to take what's there. And if you could use it, uh, that's fine. 
but you've got to go out and get some uh, creative writers that are good enough to put together a piece. Hey, look, man, this is what I tell me. This is what I'm thinking. And I'm trying to reach these people and I want to make it a motivational piece. Can you put this together for me? And I've got uh, Isaac Benjamin. Uh, I've got three or four other writers and they, they could, they're very good at writing. They put it together and uh, people like reading, especially Isaac Benjamin. He is a great writer. I, that's what I, I was going to tell you before the show. Um, he, he wrote about the fledge and I, it was fascinating. I feel like he got the essence of what we were trying to do uh -huh. deeper than anybody else that's ever written about us. Okay. So um, I thought it was a fantastic article and I re I read your articles a lot now. Well, thank you so much, sir. Well, yeah. So that's what we do. I mean, if we can find something that is already uh, of a positive nature and we could run it without being worried about plagiarizing stuff, then we, we would probably do it. If we can get the okay from the person that wrote it, we would do it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not as easy as you think, uh, but so you need your own writers to go out and do what you need. You know, if I could send, I could send Isaac to interview the mayor and he would do a very credible job without going in to maliciously attack him or anything. He could go in and do the job and take what Aunt Mayor Shore says and put it in print and report all the things that he's doing and doing it in such a way. Uh, he may not like what, what we had to say, but uh, he would have to say, well, that, yeah, that is the truth, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not going to twist the truth. We're not, not going to lie. We're not going to do that. I, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's so, if you don't mind me using this phrase, badass what you've done to be able to all of the struggles for 35 years, whether no matter what type of business you are to survive for 35 years is a huge accomplishment, but then to be a newspaper and to be a black owned newspaper and to be a black owned newspaper during some pretty turbulent times in social justice and uh, racial issues. Uh, I, I just think you're amazing. Well, thank you. Well, you know, uh, we are an ad-supported uh, newspaper, so, you know, it would mean nothing if I had all the passion in the world and all the drive in the world if I didn't have advertisers willing to support what we do and what we stand for. So it's not just me that thinks like that. You know, there's some other people putting money up, betting that, hey, I think this guy's got a winning hand, so I'm going to give him an ad or I'll give him a year's contract, see what happens. And uh, we've been fortunate enough to do that. And uh, of course, with the pandemic, we have had to change our tactics and the way we approach people, how we see people, because you're not going to see very many people now. They would want to have a thing with you online. And uh, that's just how it's going to have to be. You're not going to see. I used to go and take people out to lunch. In fact, we had a trade out at various restaurants. We would go and take people out and, you know, we would let them eat whatever they want and dine like they wanted to just to break bread with them. And I could, you know, a lot of times it's easy to sell a person when they're eating. Yeah. They're going to be more receptive. <laughs> uh, the psychology I've figured out, when I go to a guy's office, he's going he's gonna to deal with me in a way that like, this is my house, this is the way it's going to be, and I'm going to do this and do that. But if I get him out of that, get him to a restaurant, he may let his guard down. He or she may let their yeah. guard down. And I find if they got the right food and maybe a little drink, and they may warm up to you a little bit. Of course, some people just don't want to do business with you, period. 
But usually they will consider going out with you to eat. You got a shot at maybe convincing them like, this is what I'm doing and I need some, some help. I need some support. Could you do this for me? Could you consider running some ads for six months or, or 90 days just to trial, just to see how we work for you? See if we're effective. And if I can convince them to do that, I want to make sure they get results. And uh, once you prove yourself, if you prove yourself, people will they'll come back to you. And now if you go, if you're out there just taking money and you're not delivering results, you're not going to be around too long. You know, so, they, let's, let's go to the crowd for a second. I, it's kind of coincidence. Weren't we just talking about Maxine Kane? We were. Yeah, just right before with Paul Shaheen. Uh, so she said, so proud of you or you for your wealth of knowledge and your uh, perseverance. Thank you. And then Mona David would like to know why the name Chronicle or why, what did, where did you come up with that? Uh, you know, when we first started uh, years ago, uh, we were the editorial, Lansing editorial, but it just didn't fit right. And I said, well, I like the Chronicle, but then there's the Michigan Chronicle and I don't want people to think I'm part of them. And in, in fact, even today I say, no, we're not affiliated with the Michigan Chronicle in Detroit. We're the Lansing Chronicle. And I, you know, I liked the name. It fit to me, it was a good fit. And I never thought twice about it. I let the editorial go and we became the Michigan Chronicle, not the Michigan, but the Lansing Chronicle. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, oh, go ahead. Well, that works for me. You know, I, I it just rolls off my yeah. tongue, the Chronicle, you know, and I've been doing it so long and I'm just accustomed to it. And I think it's a pretty good name. Although we got neighbors 90 miles from here that are they've been around much longer than i have been doing been singing a song a lot longer than i have and i'm sure they can hold the tune much better than i can but i'm gonna always work hard to see if i can get it right well you're our chronicle so thank you yeah. um and then megan church is asking how can somebody reach out to you to buy ad space uh you might uh you can just call me uh my number is 517-894-4747, 517-894-4747. That's my number and I keep my phone with me at all times. So you're okay with me publishing that? Right yes, now? yes, okay. I put it in my paper all the time. Oh, okay. Because I'm more, I'm more apt to get my phone than, I'm able, than I am if I'm riding around to try and get on a computer for I've been killed myself with somebody else. So I, I can get the phone and I can put it on speaker and I can drive and do carry on a conversation. All right. That works for me. Okay. So there you go, Megan. So um, we, what, what's something you do every damn day to push the, the needle forward in showing those positive stories, the mission of the Chronicle News? Well, I, uh, I'm an early riser. You know, I did the morning drive for so many years. So I was used to getting up, as they say, at the crack of dawn. I had to get the station on. Well, it depends on if it, see, it was an AM daytime station. That means our time fluctuated sun up to sun down. Uh, certain part of the summer, I think we were going on the air as early as 5.15 in the morning, 5.30. So that means I probably was up at 4.30. I had to have my coffee, reflect on what I was doing. I had to get uh, the paper from the night before so I could, you know, be enlightened with what's going on in and around me so that when people call me, I could say, hey, look, well, this is what I got from that story. And I read it, yada, 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 because 
you know, I had to be uh, as a morning drive personality. You had to be aware of what was going on in your environment, in your community. I had to know what the roads were like up north. I had to know what the roads were like going to Detroit. People listen to me for that because when they, a lot of people get up, they're rushing to get to work. They're going to get their coffee. They're struggling to get their clothes on and they're out the door. Uh, but I would have to be prepared and say, look, this is what the weather is. And uh, if, in case you didn't know it, so and so and so, so happened last night while you were asleep. And uh, I guess a morning drive announcer has to keep people apprised of what went on the night before and maybe sometime the day before. So you have to do that. Yeah. So that's so, what I did. Did you always have uh, three scoops of sugar in your coffee? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm a sugar head. It runs in my dad's family. So we all like sugar. And uh, for me, it was good because the caffeine and the sugar uh, would get me hyped. And uh, that and the fact that when I got in the radio station, I was blasting the music. I know we hired a uh, receptionist from Grand Rapids and she came in complaining about me in the morning because I was the only person there at 6.30 or 7 in the morning and she'd get there about 7.45. Jay's got the whole building rocking. I mean, he's playing the music <laughs> and, 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 and the, and the uh, windows are rattling. And she complained to the owners and the owner came in, Jay. I said, look, here's the way it is. I don't mean anybody any harm. I don't want to just hear the music. I need to feel the music so that the, the music gets in me and then I can transmit my feelings to my to my listeners. And that's what I was trying to convey. So I didn't want to fake it, you know, like and then I because I, I got to a point in my career where the music was not inspiring me. I, I would play the music and I would turn it down. So I told my wife was living again. I said, baby, you know, it's time for me probably to get out of broadcasting because music doesn't inspire me and make me feel like I used to because I used to get so hyped in the morning. Now I'm turning the monitor off and I knew it was time to move on. Mm. I knew. So we uh, we connect the shows from we daisy chain them together. And yesterday on the show, I had a, a, a lawyer named John. He's with Foster Swift, who wrote a book during the pandemic. A, a children's book. And his question that he wanted me to ask you was what challenge in your past kind of prepared you the most for today or doing the Chronicle or broadcasting maybe? Uh, what really uh, made me get into speech patterns and excuse me, <clears throat> learning about advertising and all that was because when we left Mississippi and moved to Chicago, I had a deep Southern draw. And the kids on the west side of Chicago made fun of me. I mean, they really made fun of me. They teased me. They called me country. So um, I got with some teachers and they said, well, you know, your, your speech pattern, you know, you need to slow down and enunciate your words a little bit better. Of course, I didn't really perfect it till I got to Columbia College. I had a, an instructor he was the booth announcer at ABC Chicago, WLS-TV. And uh, he had worked with a lot of people in radio, helping them with their delivery and everything. So he, he worked with me and uh, he said, well, you know, what we're going to start doing is I'm going to have you read the news. We're going to tape it and play it back. And he said, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And, he, and so that really inspired me to, to enunciate my words as best as possible, slow down, Put my inflections on where I had to, but I mean that's something that I did. I don't do it as much now because I'm not in broadcasting, but back then I did. So coming from Mississippi with that southern draw, 
you want to improve as much as you can because people are laughing at you. Well, at my, least they did me. Yeah, my wife, uh, my wife was from Fulton, Mississippi, just outside of Tupelo. Mm -hmm. So kind of the other direction from where you were going. And she says the same thing. She went to St. John's High School here. And when she came up, they made fun of her all the time. They said she was stupid because of the way she talked. It was really a tough thing for her. Do, do you fall back in that uh, accent ever? No, <laughs> I no. never go back. No, I never, I never do. No. She, when she gets mad at me, she goes back. She does? I hear yonder I, I, and wrecking and. I think I mentally beat it out of myself. I just, I just ah. go back, yeah. Well, you know, if, and, and if you're serious about broadcasting, when you get in there, you're doing news, you know, you're reading your scripts and everything and, you know, you got to be conscious about your inflections and where you're breathing at and all of that stuff. I think all that maybe helps you some, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tomorrow on the show, I've got uh, Kimberly Levon and she uh, helps artists market and build their business and stuff like that. What question would you like to ask Kimberly? I think I'd like to ask her, has she had to change her technique and how she approached people to do business with her during the pandemic? If so, what did you do? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a thing that you must do. You must change, you know, to, to continue on with the pandemic. Because as I said before, I was used to just going, see, seeing, going to see people shaking hands or we go out to lunch and all that stuff. But most people don't want to go out with you. They don't want to dine with you. If yeah. anything, they might do a Zoom meeting with you or something, but they don't want to see you like that in person. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a challenge for me to do that. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is it a challenge for her? Yeah. So... Is it a, what did you do different? Because like you said, that's what I was thinking is, oh man, he does the food thing, but nobody wants to go have food. Everyone's ordering. Right. No, nobody, yeah. nobody wants to go out anymore. Yeah. Uh, what I had to do is I had to make, I have to make more calls on the phone or I have to send out more emails to just reach out to people. Although I still don't believe the email is, is as effective as a phone call or seeing somebody in person. I just don't believe it. I mean, it's too easy. People will just glance through. And when you are trying to sell somebody, you have your presentation or your, your sales pitch that you're doing. And uh, you can sit down and explain why you're trying to do this or why you do it to make people understand that. That script or that paper may not, may not do it for you. So, yeah. I mean, to me, it's been a challenge. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I'd get up in the morning and I drink my coffee and I ponder, well, you know, you know, this, this could, this might, might finish the chronicle is I said, God, I, I'm lost for the first time. I'm lost because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to counter COVID-19. How do I counter that? How do I get around it? Because my thing has always been the more sales calls I made, the more people I seen, the more sales I had. Not necessarily nowadays. People don't want to see you. They just don't. Yeah. It's uh. You know, this this morning, every morning for the show, I send out an email with all of the details on how to connect with the show. Mm -hmm. And every morning I am stressed out until that person confirms that they're going to be on the show because I'm going to have to scramble. I'm doing this every day. Um, I'm, I'm not going to let this your your show 194 days in a row. Wow. Um, so I don't want it to fail before I get to 365. 
when, okay. And even when they send me an email, I'm still nervous about it. You called me this morning. You left me a voicemail because I was on another call. But right. when, I, when I heard your voice and when I called you back, no worries. For I knew you were going to be here. I oh, yeah. I'll be, I'll be here. I won't miss this opportunity. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate that. And Maxine, I'm going to add another part to that question. What's, what keeps you motivated to push on through all of this? I would say there's something inside of me that motivates me to do it. I've done it so long. And actually, at my age, I don't know anything else that I'm good at. So I, so I do that and I, and I push on. God, if I had to change careers now, I, I'd be lost. I'd just be lost. But, and, and I think I'm pretty good at this. And uh, I understand the medium. And I know how to put together proposals. And I, if I don't know how to do something, I know how to seek out and get the help that I need. So this is it for me. This is what I'm going to do. Um, thanks for the question, Maxine. And thanks for the nice answer, Jay. Oh, thank you. Um, so what is happiness to you? And are you happy? Yeah, you have to ask yourself that. What really motivates you? What makes you happy? Uh, I have my son and my daughter, and those two are my motivation. Now, my daughter and I are constantly bickering with, bickering with <laughs> each other. Well, we do, but I love my daughter immensely, and I love my son the same way, and my grandkids. So uh, they are my world. They are my motivation, and that's what keeps me going. Um, I mean, uh, I'd like to say it's the money and everything, but at my age, it's not the money. Uh, the work keeps me going. I'm inspired to do what I do. I love doing what I do. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. Are you happy? I think I'm a ha as happy as I can be. I've often asked myself since my wife passed, I think it's been maybe two and a half years. I, I don't keep up with time. That's keeping up with something like that is not a good, to me, it's not a good thing, but it's been maybe two and a half years. And I asked myself, I said, God, you know, I say, well, you know, my wife did this paper till maybe three weeks before she died. And uh, I think she was pretty good at it. She laid it out in such a way. And I, I always thought it was very professional. I could present it to advertisers and they say, well, who does your paper? I said, my wife does my paper. Yeah. And she, she, uh, she was a computer programmer, but she learned to put the paper together pretty well. And people would accept it. And I was able to sell ads and Yes, I'm I'm pretty happy, you know. I, I don't you know, I don't know if anything else would make me any happier. I've got my family and for my age I'm relatively healthy, so I'm very happy. Yeah. And my condolences, Mona saying the same thing out there, um, about your wife passing. Uh do you do you feel like she's still working with you today? I mean, is she still there? Uh see now we were married a long time. We were married, I think. 45 years, something like that. And we grew up in the same building. We went to the same grammar school. Some kind of way we split up high school. We went to the same high school, John Marshall in Chicago, but I had to work. So they gave me an early schedule and I would be there when uh, class the bell first ring. I, my first class was at about 7.45 in the morning and I would get out about 11.50 to go home and uh, get ready. Cause I had a full-time job as a kid. I worked 40 hours a week at Brock's Candy. I, every time I see a bag of Brock's Candy, it takes me back when I was in high school. So I was working full time. You know, I had to do it. My mom was on welfare and uh, I was going to help my mom all, mom all I could. And 
I wasn't going to wear, and I'm not putting anybody down, but I just wanted to have, when I went to school, I wanted to be in a nice shirt and a pair of pants, you know? So I I had to have money to do that. So I did that. Um, what, what gives you hope? Um, um, I guess if you don't have hope, pretty much given up, you got to have hope. I mean, uh, even when you get beaten down, if you don't have something inside you that says, hey, look, it's going to be all right. You got to suck it up. You got to suck it up and uh, tomorrow you'll feel better about it. So something inside me keeps me hopeful. And uh, when I think about, you know, all the night nights, my wife stayed up all night trying to put that paper together because we had a deadline to meet. She might stay up a day and a half doing that paper. She did that much sacrificing for me and pretty much made our business a family business. It's not just me doing it. Yeah, you see me out front, but my wife was behind the scenes. And now I've got my daughter. She helps me. And my son, uh, he usually does. Well, when there's churches, he does the churches. He does delivery and he takes it to all the stores and everything. So we all have a niche and a part. So, um, you know, I got my family business and um, I'm pretty happy. Most people looking to get in business, they don't have an idea or clue how to do it. I did it without very much money at all. But I had a knowledge of broadcasting and advertising. And I put that together with my wife's ability to lay the paper out. And so what you see is 35 years of the Chronicle now. So, you know, is there anything we forgot to talk about or anything you want to make sure we talk about? Well, I mean, you mentioned about my speech pattern. Um, and, uh, you know, even in uh, even in grammar school, I had uh, some teachers would say, you know, you just need to pronounce your stuff a little bit better because, I know there's a lot of people that move from the South. They have the Southern drawl or their speech is very bad. Well, not bad. It's different. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just had to work to get it right. You know, and I I think I'm okay now. I don't think you have very much of the Southern drawl now. So uh, that may have been what made me go into broadcasting to prove that, hey, look, I can do this thing. I I can speak like anybody else and uh, I can get my message across. I can get my point across and... uh, Maybe that's why I did it. I don't know. I, uh, I'm so honored to have you here. I really am, Mr. Price. You have been uh, a great interview. E, and I love the paper. There's always a, one of uh, a copy of the Chronicle at the Fledge now. Giannis has been keeping a supply here for us for okay. a few months now. Um, and I, I just think you're a gem. And thank, thank you, I'm sir. Thank you very so much. So happy you kept pushing it on. You see it going for ninety years, like the other <laughs> chronicle. Uh, well, you know, uh, I know I'm not going to be around that long, but uh, maybe, hopefully, if I, you know, if, if I, you know, if I leave, hopefully, my my son or daughter, or maybe the both of them will collaborate and, and keep it going. That would be my my hope, since it is a family business, um, and. Uh, my hope is that, you know, it, this can be a, a tool to help get some of my grandkids in college uh, to motivate them. And uh, hopefully maybe we can help provide them some some money or revenue to do that with because of the paper. Maybe I'll be uh, interviewing Jillian in 20 years. <laughs> now, that would be something. <laughs> 
it would there, be something. Jillian is my daughter, my granddaughter, and that's Giannis's firstborn. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, sir. Hey, I listen, appreciate listen. it very much. Thank you for the time. And, uh, you know, chatting with you, you've took, taken me back down memory lane. And uh, I don't really, a lot of times, take time to even think about all those things that I've done. And I've done quite a few things. So thank you for refreshing my memory. I wish I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone. Every damn day, every damn day at 2 p.m. We'll have Kimberly Levon on tomorrow. And don't forget, we've got 99 problems, but a pitch ain't one tomorrow at 9 a.m. So we will see you all later. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye.